All right, we're back. Another episode of the Raw Urban Mobile Podcast. Tokyo Cliff. Chocolate Buddha in the house. Of course, we're in our, I guess we could call it our favorite spot, Shibuya, since we're here all the time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. This is our go-to spot. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we're in this cool-ass 20-year-old van kicking back, known as the Mobile Man Cave. Yeah, so we have a fellow podcaster here as a guest today. We actually did a podcast with him a few months ago. We were on his podcast, and now he's going to be on ours. We have the one and only Matty B. Hey guys, how you how you doing? Thanks for having me back. Yeah, yeah man. it's kind of it's a, a swap cast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Swap cast. A swap cast. Yeah, you you know the, cast, the energy yeah. was so awesome. You know the first time we did it. Oh, that's and, great. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I got good good feedback on yeah. that uh, on that conversation we had. Yeah, yeah. 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 Maddie B Files. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check that out on Maddie B Files. Yeah. What's the name of that episode? Just called. Um, I think it was called a uh, uh, rump. rump. I just called yeah. it rump. Yeah, Shibuya rump or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's a yeah. lot of rump here in Shibuya, too, but a female persuasion, <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, a female. There's really only one kind of rump, <laughs> oh, <laughs> women's <thank you>. rumps. <laughs> oh, 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 that, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll agree with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and we sometimes use that as a, like, you know, just an acronym, rump, but I prefer people call us the Raw Urban Mobile Podcast yeah. because I, I don't want to get into, oh, have you heard of that new podcast, Rump? And nobody knows what yeah, that means. You know, right. they just think we're like a big booty podcast. Yeah, no. I like yeah. that it's a name as well. The Raw Urban yeah. Mobile Podcast. podcast. Yeah, yeah, it's, right, it's yeah, a good right. name. All right, man. Give us a little uh, self-intro, man. Tell, okay. Tell us who you are. Tell our audience sure. who you are. Yeah. Um, my name is Matt Bigelow, Matty B. Um, Matty B is like a, a, a kind of an older stage name now. I got to find a way to kind of transition out of that because I used to do. I like it though. Oh, really? Well, yeah, thanks, yeah. man. All right. Yeah, yeah, well, there's yeah. like another, like a 15 year old Matty B in California that he does like pop songs that get like millions of views. And like, I, I wonder if I should beat him up or give up, you know? <laughs> but um, anyways, uh, yeah, I, I came over to Japan like 12 years ago. Um, as an English teacher, I still uh, teach English, but I, I built a school at a leading tech company that focuses on artificial intelligence um, and blockchain. And I teach uh, blockchain engineers, I teach um, AI engineers and tech executives and things like that. So it's not your typical school. You know, I built it myself and I'm at the forefront, cutting edge of technology. It's totally paperless. It's a totally new concept for education, and it seems to be going over pretty well. Um, yeah, I mean it, that when when you know when I when you told me about that, I was just like, wow, that sounds pretty. So how did? Well, before, before first, I also know, do music. Yeah, yeah. I, I play I play guitar. Your, I, I, your intro. Um, I, I play drums. I, I play uh, klezmer music, which is uh, traditional um, Jewish music uh, from Europe. And uh, used to be very popular, and then uh, it wasn't. But it's really fun. It's really cool music. Every time we play, uh, people love it. So I, I really like playing that music. I'm currently working on a short four-song uh, EP that I uh, wrote all the songs for. And I'm recording it myself. I, I'm not sure where it's going to go or how I'm going to get out there. But uh, it's coming together pretty well. I, I know a lot of like t like top studio-level musicians and I can access them and you know pay them, but it, I'm not sure how to distribute music these days. It's like if you just put it up on SoundCloud or put it on Spotify, you get statistics, but I'm not sure if it's the way to go. So I'm trying to figure out a way to, I don't know, release music in a new way. But there, there we go. That's that's my introduction. Okay, yeah. and so the genre that you you work in is it folk? Generally folk. folk. Yeah, okay. I like folk, but. Um, I really liked the uh, MTV Unplugged series back in the 90s, like oh, the yeah. Nirvana Unplugged, the Alice in Chains Unplugged. So I also really like um, uh, outlaw country music, um, Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson and all of those guys. So not necessarily the the type of, there's kind of a weak folk, you know, that people talk about what's out their window and they just talk about how sensitive they are. I kind of like that uh, country aspect, um, you know, dirt underneath the fingernails, uh, people repairing cars, um, uh, people on skidoos, <laughs> that type of uh, that type of gritty folk, you know? Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. yeah. Yo, what's up? This is Mega of the Mega Late Show. You are listening to the Raw Urban Mobile Podcast. This is Selena from Tell, and you're listening to the Raw Urban Mobile Podcast. 
Yeah, we, we're going to get back into that a little later. Um, yeah, I wanted to start off talking about the school because I, I was just like, so you so you built a paperless school. Can you yeah. tell us m- more about that? How did that get started? Yeah. How well, did you get inspired to do that? Um, I, I've been working in the private education sector uh, for a long time. Um, I came over as a conversation teacher. I, I, I liked it because it felt like a college with money. I was traveling. I have, I was meeting all these expats and we're going out and the, the, the students were fun too. And it's just like, but after a year I was, um, okay, let's finish this shit up. Um, I broke up with my girlfriend at the time, Canadian feminist woman, <laughs> Canadian <laughs> feminist feminist, woman. Okay. Yeah, built to not last. And, wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, I needed to readjust my life. So I found, I got like a part-time job. Uh, teaching in a junior high school and I just I realized that when I was in junior high school I made a life promise to myself to never teach in a junior high school so I quit and I uh, found a job at this uh, interpreting uh, translation company called uh, Simul Academy and uh, within a few years I'd been developing courses there Um, my degrees in creative writing and journalism and we were using um, BBC and CNN videos before it was fake news um, <laughs> to uh, to teach like t- as a teaching method, right? So um, breaking down how people talk to each other, interviews, uh, headlines, and things like that. And uh, when I was in charge of the advanced materials, um, the school with very little advertising was voted the number one um, English school in Japan by Oricon in 2012. Nice. Uh, there's a lot of other development, and we worked with like the top interpreters and uh, translators within Japan. So. Uh, the people that do the translation interpreting for the mayor of Tokyo, um, for the Olympics, uh, people that negotiate uh, mergers and acquisitions. These are the people that I was working with. So I could really learn a lot uh, from them being just like these very professional um, language specialists. So then I kind of developed my um, skill set to make money uh, doing that. And um the 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 school didn't really adapt with the times and they kept on sort of relying on um, CDs and DVDs when we were clearly going into streaming and uh, they didn't change their business model when CNN and BBC started just getting more into ranting to each other like eight people on a screen ranting to each other <laughs> yeah, or right. the BBC calling everything uh, racist and homophobic and transphobic like Japanese people don't want to study that. And when people are paying you thousands of dollars to come to their your school in their free time and you're just like, well, what does transphobic mean? And the guy's like, I, I really need to get my business skills up and <laughs> I don't really need to understand the difference between uh, the levels of transphobia or the LGBTQ, IPPI, QQI community, you know? like, And so the school closed. Um, they gave me a little golden hand, a silver handshake. They gave me some money. I took six months off, and then I got a call from one of the leading uh, recruitment companies uh, in Tokyo, offering a position. I don't want to say the company name yeah, because, um, not because I don't want to, but because I'm not authorized to like talk about them. Like right. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't. I want to respect them. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah. yeah. So um, they. It was a paperless company. So there was no paper, and they wanted a, an education program. And they're like, well, it's just a six-month thing. We need some uh, skills. Um, the engineering technologists, um, in, 10 years ago, it was really just Japanese. But now with technology expanding across many countries, suddenly software engineers have to communicate with software engineers all over the world. So these Japanese guys needed to build up their English skills, and they were just like, yeah, let's just teach them some basic things like self-introductions. And they basically put me in a room uh, with an internet connection, a computer, and a giant TV screen. And I I walk into this room, and I kind of go, fuck self-introductions. I got me a Joe Rogan experience (laughs) in this bitch, you know? Yeah, Yeah. So I just went, fuck, I can apply why Joe Rogan was becoming so popular, you know, bring that shit up, Jamie, put it on the screen, um, uh, and, and just bring up things as they're happening and, and show people like harsh reality. Instead of living in a fake world, you can live in a real world. Um, so uh, I built up a paperless school and I embedded the aspects of the school, <laughs> this is hilarious, into the um, infrastructure of the company, right? And so I'm working with uh, one of the fastest internet networks in the world 
uh, with some of the engineers that develop the network. So I could try to make my own network or I could just piggyback on their network. So I embedded the aspects of the school into the company. And because it's paperless first, uh-huh. it, I'm not like, I don't have an iPad where you push a button that prints out a piece of paper. The, you push a piece of but uh, put you push a digital button and that sends a signal into the cloud which will activate some sort of action within their network that registers the students as to being there so wow. instead of me having to note down all of the people one person in charge of 150 people that's how many students I have it's um, one person in charge of themselves so the the rate of error decreases and um, you can get more accuracy in terms of your record keeping so the idea of the paperless school was that um, instead of having to listen to news reports and type them out, I now have YouTube, which does automatic um, uh, uh, jimaku, the uh, subtitles. Yeah, yeah. Subtitle, yeah. You push the C button and all of a sudden you got... So I can bring up speeches, uh, conversations of artificial intelligence engineers talking to artificial intelligence engineers about artificial intelligence programs and push a C button and I got artificial intelligence engineers in my classroom so I'm delivering them the exact information they need to hear in another language and wow. I don't I don't need five people finding the news articles I, I just search and basically YouTube is an AI algorithm so I just I don't really do a lot of personal Sometimes a little bit, but I don't use my work, YouTube, for personal reasons. I just hyper-tune it to search for the latest levels of technology. And then I go in there and I find what uh, people are doing at conferences and how people communicate to each other with um, blockchain, with AI, as I mentioned. And it, and I look at it from a really technical point of view, not the hype. And I deliver them the, the technical information, which is what they want to hear. And then I just iterate that over and over and over and over and over again. And instead of building up a school which is based on testing, the, the, the materials are the tests themselves. So you know if you're doing well because you can understand the materials at hand. And if you can handle the materials at hand um, with rel- relatively low difficulty, then that means you can handle more difficult materials. So then you can go up a level. So you don't need to build in testing modules and build people up to a test. The test is the material itself. So it's like a feedback loop. And... Uh, and because I don't need to type up shit, I don't need to print stuff, I don't need to hand out stuff, I'm busy interacting with materials to feed to the students themselves. So it's, that's kind of what I'm doing with the paperless school. I don't know anybody else who's who's doing yeah, a trying to... Joe Rogan experience, artificial intelligence, uh, language training program, but that's what I'm trying to do. Wow. Shout out that's... to Joe Rogan, baby. <laughs> yeah, now, now, let me ask you Kudos to you. Yeah. Uh, you say this is a totally paperless, paperless school. No paper. So that pa- includes... Paperless first is how I'm saying. Oh, okay. It. Yeah. So that includes the toilet. So when I go take a shit, uh, it's going to be some like algorithm that's going to like. Yes. Whoa. No. we got. I just want to go to your school to take a shit. There, 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 there are sensors on the toilets. I was about to say, yeah. You got, you got the. On the, on the doors. Oh, you know what? On the doors, so you know when there's like an app you can download that tells you which toilets are open because Whoa. there's a sensor on the door, and when the sensor when the door is shut, the the sensor sends a signal to a cloud which can then tell everybody that that toilet is occupied. So if you need to go to the bathroom, you can download an application <laughs> and you can find empty toilets in the building and and go to them. You don't need to go from floor to floor to check. It's called the Internet of Things, or in this case, the Internet of Toilets. You know, I was just talking. Sh- Shit, and and you just literally, wow, that's yeah. that's, that's crazy. You know, speaking of toilets, um, oh yeah, so it's my favorite thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, I I, yeah. I wanted I wanted to talk about this. I'll use them toilets. anywhere. Yeah, that was like one of the main topics. That's the main topic. well, but actually, if you, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you think about it, <laughs> if you think about it, you don't need paper to use a, a toilet these days. Especially, shout out to the Toto company because oh, yeah. you can just uh, take a shit, the water is shooting. Yeah, well, butt, this is this is what I was. You you use the dryer. And then you just pull clean your pants as a up whistle. And yeah. Get so the fuck out of here. clean as a hairy whistle. Whoa. I, I I recently, me, you know, my wife and I, we recently invested in one because, all right. You know, she she's been living in this mansion or what they call a mansion. It's an apartment, really. That's well, uh, a condo. Let's say. Yeah. Condo. Yeah. yeah. So her um, condo didn't have these. It was very old, so it didn't didn't have the updated technology. Right. When it comes to, Mine too. Yeah. So, but we went to um, Yamada Denki. And just bought one of those was it covers, toilet covers, and right, it comes yes, with yes, the yes. 
uh, what you call it? Nozzle spray. Yeah, it comes with a nozzle spray. So yeah. I'm not gonna lie, I love it, man. It's, I, it's it's next level. Like I never thought I would enjoy something shooting water up my ass <laughs> and cleaning it, but. <laughs> Paper sucks, man. Yeah. Paperless toilets. Paperless toilets, folks. Paperless school. Yeah. U.S. needs no to get on board with that. No more toilet paper. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Next to sandpaper. You know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. The first time I experienced it, well, one of the first times, I was at a buddy of mine's house. He lives on the other side of Japan. And so when I pressed the button and the water shot up my ass, I was just like, Oh shit, I'm gay. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just like it was just one like one of those really I'm kinda un- gay. Yeah. Because oh, it felt good. Yeah. yeah. Kimuchi. Yeah. Felt, it was like very uncomfortable but satisfying yeah. feeling. Yeah. Like, okay. Well, you know, when I first saw the uh advertisement, you remember <laughs> Maddie, you know, maybe you guys so remember when the advertisement first came out for those paperless toilets, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh they had a gorilla. You remember they used a gorilla, and he sat on top of the toilet and pushed the button, and the little thing shot water up the gorilla's button. The gorilla was like, ooh. ooh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean. I thought that was a weird, you know, Japanese you know, commercial. I don't know what they do. With in, in, all, yeah. in, in all seriousness, <laughs> in all seriousness, you know, the first time, it, it's kind of awkward, right? Because yeah. you're not used to this yeah this and feature how right? accurate it is and how accurate it is yeah, yeah. you don't have Pinpoint. to adjust yes wow got a laser on that bitch yeah well what they did to it research the accuracy uh-huh. is um they had when they were testing it um people didn't want to reveal uh, ob- like where the water was um shooting them oh. so they the the engineers you would go into a bathroom anonymously with a and with a like a sticker and um, where it shot you, you would put it like on a string over a toilet. And then they calibrated the average placement of the sticker on the string. And that's where they put the nozzle direction. Because uh, I noticed on some they have like one for women, you know, I guess to, you know. The cooter cleaner. The cooter cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then they have uh, then they have the one for the, you know dudes i guess or yeah well the poop it, shoot. That, yeah it doesn't have the dudes it's basically one for the women to clean their their yeah, the bidet yeah and then they have one for the men to hit up the well not for well for the poop shoot right that, that low so they calibrated the location between yeah. there and there by averaging out um based on user experience wow. where the ideal position should be so so here's the here's the main question i want to ask Okay. Yeah. The toilets. Yeah. Oh, yes. Absolutely. I, I want to ask all of you. Okay. Well, you I'm ready. How long do you let the water shoot up your ass before you stop it? Until I feel like I'm gonna start pooping again. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it gets gets to that point where the the your butthole will start to relax a bit, and uh, then you don't want water shooting up into your asshole <laughs> and flushing more shit out of your asshole. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. that's just then you got like this negative feedback loop. Yeah. Of yeah. Uh, water and and shit and <laughs> asshole. Because yeah. like first couple times I was like, all right. I- I think I'm enjoying this too much. Maybe, maybe it's too long. <laughs> oh yeah, maybe, maybe there's a lot of nerve about, endings oh around the anus, so oh, I guess God. you know it's, it's kind of like natural. Yeah, but maybe it's some shit you should keep to yourself. I, uh, but I, I, hey. I honestly go until I feel like it's clean. Yeah. Okay. I, until I feel like I'm cleaned out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I try to avoid attaching emotions because uh, <laughs> then you never know uh, exactly how long is good enough. Nah. You start second questioning, you know, some self doubt enters Whoa. into the equation. So, yeah. Until I feel like um, if I pulled up my pants, I would have no skid marks. Uh, that's that's how I live it myself. Well, 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 now, you know, uh, I think they're going to put a little camera in there and you connect it. It's going to connect to an app on your phone, and you could act. Well, it might be a little gross looking, but you could actually see okay, well, it's got every little turd, little piece of crumb. Yeah. And I'm clean. So, boop, and you hit the app, and it, everything shuts that's off. That's interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, computer vision. That's, that's some amazing work that you've put do together, you, man. Do you know that they have uh, in China, in Beijing, uh-huh. facial recognition toilet paper oh. dispensers? No, I didn't know. Where there was a problem in a public park where too many people were using too much toilet paper. Mm. And so they installed a facial recognition machine um, where you scan your face and it will distribute 70 centimeters of uh, single ply toilet paper. 
and that's as much as you get. And you can scan your face once every nine minutes. Mm -hmm. So if you don't, if you need more paper, you have to wait nine minutes. And they wow. reduce the amount of consumption by like, I don't know, like three hundred percent. Damn. So well, if they use one ply toilet paper, you only want to use that shit once, and you'll deal with the hash marks, and you don't want like one a, ply. Yeah, one ply. It's Can you like believe sandpaper. that China is going facial recognition before going um, uh, Japanese butt spray? You know, like the, they're they're not they're not yeah. adopting the previous technology. They're just putting the latest technology onto their legacy equipment. Well, yeah. you know, they, they want to do shit different from Japanese. You know. So, so. I, w I wanted to ask yeah, you, yeah. how? So you said you had a journalist and creative writing background. That's right. How did you get into tech? Um, like well, I got in. Uh, I've always been interested in technology. I've I was I was kind of a. A borderline computer geek growing up like I was all like I remember being 14 years old and wanting to get on the internet in like 1994 um, I remember having a computer with a modem and logging on to BBS sites and I was always a big proponent of internet and internet freedom and some of my like longest term friends are, are from internet chat rooms and things like that and I've been to Europe to visit them and things so um, and also just looking at the cutting edge and I'm into freak society as well so with uh, like cryptocurrency there's a lot of kind of punk rock fuck you attitude mm. and that's what i liked about um, technology when i started at this tech company i really didn't know much about the engineering aspect to it because i would show them things like that i would see on the joe rogan experience and they would just be like yeah that's just a consumer product but we're more into the actual like backbone of the thing and then i realized um joe rogan actually doesn't know a lot about technology because you know, based on what i know now uh, with the kind of questions he asks engineers, I'm like, that's not really an in-depth question. So um, <laughs> I, basically what I did is I, I iterated my knowledge um, by introducing engineers to what I was researching and what piqued their interest, that would be a door for me. And then I would open up that box so I could just like really quickly understand what they were interested in as top level um, engineers, in not only AI, but also wireless communications, like the guys that make Wi-Fi um, happen. Um, and and just by showing them and introducing them to materials that piqued their interest, I could kind of understand where to go. And then when I have time to research and things like that, I will watch uh, conferences, I will listen to webinars, because I'm at work anyways, and then I can see how people are introducing the technology and what is the cutting edge technology, and then I look at the research, and then I look at um, what's being implemented right now. So by looking at what's being implemented, I can understand from um, what's what what technology is ready for deployment for either enterprise or consumer use. And by looking at the research, I can see where the where the technology is going because the research eventually becomes a product right we just might not even know it but that's and, and just by having all also i teach um high level executives and these fuckers know what's going on i shouldn't say fuckers right i, I mean that <laughs> respectively i just mean like yeah. when when they start talking about some sort of stuff i'm like okay that's because I show some materials to some of the students and it blows their mind and then i show it to some For of the example like um uh, some sort of like robotics okay. and then i show it to uh the same thing to my uh, tech executive and he's like oh yeah i know that and i also know what's wrong with that oh so i'm like what's wrong with it he's like yeah i'm not telling you no. <laughs> no, no, but no. then he might say something like but it might have something to do with x y or z and i'm like all right thanks and then i then i'll go down that rabbit hole so uh basically i have like a uh just a huge amount, not a huge amount, but a wide variety amount of technology experts layered into the school. And then they come in and based on, yeah, like I said, what they are interested in, I research that and then I try to pique their interest. So what then happens is not only do they like learn English, but I'm not bored out of my fucking skull teaching people how to like ask me about where I'm from. Yeah. And um, in addition to that, if they can, people will enjoy talking to you, but they get people get bored of each other after a while. So if their if their career can benefit from coming to the class that I teach by learning about these technologies or learning about applications or learning about implementations of the technology in other countries, then they can kind of go, I'm getting something from this class that's benefiting my career uh, that I would not be able to get elsewhere. 
So it provides a reason for them to come to their class. And so then, uh, what type s- of people are you getting, like, different age range? And- yeah, it, it ranges from about early 20s to late 40s. Okay. Yeah, so that's the, the range there. Now, one thing, what is, uh, you say, you know, we're going to roll back a little bit. Yeah. You say you used to go to BBS sites. What's a BBS? Uh, uh, broad, I can't even remember what it means. Because I'm thinking BBW. Uh, big black. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, he's just he. What he really meant yeah, was BBW yeah, sites. Uh, what's a what's a what's big, the type of woman that begins yeah. with S? Yeah, uh, big beautiful uh, Siamese. <laughs> it's an outdated term. Big beautiful yeah. sex. Um, uh, Sensuous. Basically, it's pre-internet where somebody would have um, a computer with a modem, and you could connect your computer to that computer, and oh. then that computer would have like. Uh, like text-based games or mm. you could download um, early versions of porn actually oh and uh yeah it would come over the phone line into your computer so it wasn't networked you couldn't have a bunch of people on at the same time but you could have like one or two people on at the oh, same okay. time okay yeah. that's cool so it's yeah. like it's yeah early internet you know so you know you know we've been talking quite a bit about ai and you know, you even see, I guess, the influence here in Japanese society. Like, you know, when I go to the, this one sushi place I go to, they have the uh, the AI prototype of Pepper. Yes. And, you know, you walk in and, you know, Pepper basically... Pe- Pepper is a humanoid droid. Yeah, humanoid, yeah. Um, robot, and it's based for communication. Yeah, yeah. so uh, basically... Just, just you, so people know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for the clarification, because yeah. I'm not a tech guy. So, yeah... I go in and I pepper on your sushi. What the fuck? Right? I know, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I could have threw somebody off there. Yeah. So thanks for the clarification. No, no, no. But yeah, pepper. I come in and then, you know you choose if you want a counter or, or a table seat, and you know you just press the little screen on pepper and yeah, man, it's just like does, right. how how does it? Uh, how, what's your experience with pepper like? If I can ask, like, was there merits and demerits to it? Um, not no. It's it's pretty simple because. The way they use it is is not, I guess, to the max. It's just simple. You come in, you choose with you know where you want to sit at a table or a counter, and then it prints out a ticket for you, and then you just walk to the wherever you're going. Like you get a ticket number, uh, a number on a ticket. Like all right, you go to table seven or counter yeah. seven. Yeah. So but, instead of having a human do it. Yeah. yeah so yeah. You, that's interesting because yeah. you don't see. I mean, I haven't lived in the States in a while, so I don't know how they're implementing AI in everyday life. Yeah. So, but in Japan, you, you can see it a little bit. You it's, know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's poking its way. Poking into its the, way, and, you know, yeah. And people and, say it's going to replace jobs, but that job of directing people to their tables is a shitty, shitty job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah but, it is. But, but it somebody's is. getting paid. I mean, they're making some, you know, they're getting some income. Yeah. Well, but you, but you got to also remember, too, that whoever has that, responsibility i'm pretty sure they they do a lot of other shit too right yeah they so can spend more time they can spend more doing time. better things exactly yeah it, it frees so up yeah there's not another way of just uh like this guy on zeitgeist said you ever watch zeitgeist uh yeah you gotta watch it man it's all deep. right all right and um one guy asked a question you know i'm kind of paraphrasing and he said that uh he asked a question he well he said yeah he asked him does do companies love their employees and he said no he said companies only love their employees until they find the technology to the, to replace them. Yeah. And I'm seeing that. I've been seeing that for like 30 years over here, you know. So, yeah. So you think AI is going to be like fucking up people's jobs and shit? Um, there's a book I read called um, AI Superpowers, uh, China, Silicon Valley. And I the, think you and, told me about yeah, that book. The, I never got around to reading it. And the New World it. Order. And the Kai-Fu Lee has been on the forefront of AI for a long time and... When I say AI, I don't mean killer robots in the sky. Exactly. I just mean tools. So there's a lot of hype, there's a lot of paranoia, and there's a lot of science fiction. Which I are, which I think Hollywood does a great job and of the news promoting as well. The news always has some robot looking thing like with a weird glint in its eye, and it's like AI will replace your jobs, and it's like this robot flying in the sky. It's like no, no, no. These are just the AI is just it's data based calculations, and, oh. and the better data you have the more accurate the program will um, commit an action. But you know, um, there's a lot of fear-mongering out there about the Alex Joneses and all them, those people yeah. out there. I, and I, I think Hollywood does it. I think Hollywood and the news do a way worse job yeah. about it than Alex Jones. Terminator and all, yeah. all of yeah. these movies that we 
big movies that we put out where we use AI against this AI versus human type of theme. And but do you yeah, think? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Do yeah. you think that you know? I mean, I feel that Hollywood is kind of doing us a favor by uh, for you know basically making us aware of the possibility that the um, the evil guys will use AI to invade us. Oh, that's definitely true. Yeah, AI weapons are coming. Yeah. So because it's data, if, yeah. if you can weaponize the data. Okay, for example, th there's a I'm not sure how accurate it is, but let's just say it doesn't matter because it can be used. There's a, a there's a, a an AI algorithm that will look at pictures and determine if somebody is a homosexual or not. Get the fuck out of here. Wow. Yeah, because um, the way that your your hormones develop between gay people and straight people affects the way your ba your your bone structure is seriously there's a that's one of the ideas so you could design an algorithm that would be able to design the different types of facial features between straight people and gay people and the way they did that was dating websites they would go on to um grinder and gather all the dudes faces and go on to tinder and gather all the dudes faces and see where the correlations don't match up so let's just say it has a 75 percent accuracy rate but it doesn't matter so the way that it would be weaponized would be some guy that doesn't like like gay people gets a bunch of drones with bombs on them oh. the, the drones have cameras the cameras have the facial recognition algorithm and the drones go and try to find gay people and kill them even though the 25 percent of the casualties might be straight that's a way that the ai would be layered into the technology to kill people but it's not because the ai got out of control it's because somebody designed a tool using the ai to kill people you know just like i could take a hammer and i could you know go up to some woman and give it to her as a gift or i could use the hammer and build a house you know like that's just a hammer yes. I yeah i the shit out of somebody you know there's yeah. a um I know I was gonna go with the idea of uh, using a hammer to, as a weapon, but I was like, no, gift, because <laughs> yep. I'm not sure who gives a gift or a hammer to a woman. But you could do it if you wanted to. There's a uh, Japanese artist. I gave a woman a hammer. <laughs> if I had a hammer. <laughs> There's a Japanese artist uh, that I came across. I, I went to one of his exhibits a couple years back. Right? Yeah. And he did this exhibit on AI, right? All right. It was pretty cool. You know, it's pretty cool. Sure, and, sure. And you know, he, he's he's uh, trying to think of his name, but uh, last name is Shibuya, or yeah. But anyway, shout out to him. And yeah, Shibuya is also a family name. Yeah, as yeah, well as a it's family name. name. It's yeah, weird. it's weird. So I was talking to him at the exhibit and about the AI, and what was interesting is. He said that, you know, and this kind of goes into a question I want to ask you, is that the way he looked at AI was that AI is not the problem. It's the humans. It's us. So when we really question AI, we're really questioning ourselves and our morals and, and what have you. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah, so That's a good way to think about it. So, and, and with that said, I wanted to say that I had a, another, I had a former colleague that I worked with, and she taught English on the side as well and she would bring up all these interesting topics to the students you know to have a you know good conversation or whatever and she they were all Japanese uh salarymen businessmen right and when she brought the brought up the topic of AI they had such a positive um perspective on AI yeah opposed to I, what I, which I think most Americans have a a, a negative yeah Skynet Terminator yeah yeah so I I found that really interesting that Japanese don't see AI the way Americans or people in the West the see Chinese AI. people too they they see AI as like electricity it's yeah a, it's it's something that's going to benefit their society yes yeah, so, so, I, so in other words, so, it's just so talk about. I mean, culture, do, do, right? is that is that what you find to be true too as well? Or like, do you see? Mm, uh, okay, with within the people that I teach, they're engineers, so they're very skeptical. Like they believe in it, but they they wonder about how it can be designed and then sold and packaged and things like that. Okay, but the idea that um, AI, no, like this, the whole robot evil, the it, the thing is going to evolve into something else, yeah. and then 
first take our jobs and then murder us. Yeah. It doesn't, no, it's not, it's a very Hollywood American way of thinking yeah, about yes, it. Yeah. And Europeans think about AI as something to regulate. That's what Europeans tend to think about. Okay. But Chinese people, if you're looking at a 40-year-old Chinese engineer, he grew up in a really fucked up period of his time, right? I was listening to Huawei, the CEO, or the rotating chairman of Huawei, which is the largest telecoms network in the world and uh he was like he, they're at a panel at the world economic forum at davos um the, he was it was like the some uh, train company from europe was there that have a, a health company and then some uh american who who's a futurist who are always wrong right so, <laughs> and then not americans are wrong futurists are wrong yeah, <laughs> sorry yeah, yeah. yeah distinction there and the huawei like the the, Amer- the yeah the american was speaking with a lot of fear the European guy was like, we have to regulate it before it gets out of our control. What do we do? What do we do? But the Huawei engineer was saying, like, I grew up in a period of time when it was my dream to eat rice every day. I could only eat rice once or twice a week or a month or something like that. And he's like, so we used AI data. We, we gathered the amount of um, farming data, the soil, and we determined what the soil needed using the data. And then we got data from various soils around this region of China and by um, optimizing the the soil uh, we could increase rice production by five percent which could feed an additional 80 million people wow so he's looking at it that way yeah so the so when when uh, of course Chinese people will always say that their version is the best and they will omit the amount of maybe poison that was distributed as a result <laughs> right yeah. but uh, they they are seeing it as like we're, we're using it for positive things I grew up in a period of time where I couldn't eat rice every day I have AI now and we're using it as a way to increase rice production so more people can eat rice so wow. do you want less rice or more rice we're using AI for we're making rice yes uh, but it, uh, the, the paranoid European is like ah, it's gonna get out of our control and then uh, Skynet and evolution, we need to regulate it and blah, blah, blah. But the Chinese are just like, no, we're going, we're using it to make rice. Yes. So the idea that, um, yeah, that the the, you, the perspective of AI is very, very different, different. Where, where, where wherever you go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's a culture thing. I mean, And as know. a result, China has the biggest reserves of AI data. And Europe, because it wants to regulate something before it's even um, distributed, has really almost no hope of developing advanced AI systems, meaning they're going to have to rely on AI systems produced elsewhere. Mm. So they're going to have to import their own artificial intelligence systems. And with that comes the values of where it's made, right? Exactly. So, for example, if I'm if I'm producing a, a computer vision model that wants to identify horses, okay, and I get all of the horse data, and now this artificial intelligence machine can really tell the difference between a horse and not a horse, okay? Now, if if I export that technology to Saudi Arabia, that's going to look at a camel and call it a horse. <laughs> It does that. So if Saudi Arabia doesn't develop its own identification systems, its culture is not going to be implemented into the definitions of this next wave of technology. Now, whether or not that changes everything for the future of the world, this AI stuff, right? Um, Still, if you don't do it yourself, somebody will do it for you. Right. And then what do you what does that mean? Well, it's not going to be done by you. It's going to be done for you. And there's a big difference between those things. And that's Mm. a great point that you hit on. And so there was a video and I want you to check it out later. if you Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, It's called all you have to do is go to YouTube. Yeah. And it's called the title of it is called uh, is AI racist. Yeah. Now, I'm not a tech guy and um, I was trying to, like, understand all of this, but. Basically, the guy was saying that if, 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 if databases are not diverse, AI can be seen as racist. Not intentionally racist, but uh, ignoring certain people. Yes, program biases. Pro, yeah, exactly. So, you know, like for an example he, he gave was that um, Google, something happened with Google a few years back to where if you put in black person, it gave you images of like a monkey or something. Like, there was no, there was like a misrepresentation in the database. <laughs> That's a big mistake. Yeah. It's not what you want to be popping up at the top of it's, your Exactly. Results. So I, I wanted you to kind of talk, like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, 
I, I, I don't, oh, I'm yeah, not a tech guy. Sure, but okay. Databases have um, to be the. It's it's not an issue of um, whether or not there's too many white people programming it. A lot of the times, the reason why AI is racist <laughs> is because um, black people's skin will with the the computer doesn't sometimes know how to um, tell the difference between shadow and skin oh. with black people. Okay. So if, um, for example, if, if we're in a dark room, like I'm, I'm white as fuck. I'm from Norway, <laughs> right? So I'm like super white. So yeah. it's like the, the shadow will clearly be on my face. But with, yeah, with black people, if we're in a dark room, the computer might not have a high quality enough camera where it can look at your skin detail and tell the difference between what is skin and what is shadow. So that's why. Got you. But I also think maybe um, if there are more uh, black people designing these, uh, the, it it would focus the black people to target that problem yes. because they literally have skin in the game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. right. For yeah. such a thing, but I don't think it's because there's too many. Uh, it's an issue of where the technology is at, and yes. maybe the uh, camera equipment needed needs to be such high spec that it's very expensive and then we have cost limitations. So if we could get maybe some African billionaires to invest in that technology and uh, then they would be able to fund the means in which to develop the program where it would be able to tell the difference between shadow and skin on black people. And, well, and, and thanks for that clarification. Well, well, hold on now. Hold on. All right. Black people spend a lot of money. Black people use a lot of technology. So now... When I first heard the video, I got to thinking what a guy named Dr. Umar Johnson, who's a pretty controversial dude, but I also he speaks a lot of truth to me. All right. And uh, since black people don't own those Fortune 500 companies and since, you know, the majority race that owns them are going to hire more of that majority race to run things. And and since that majority race, of course, they spend more money than black people because speaking for America, because they're black people as a minority, there's more white people than black people. So I think it has to do with, and that, you're the expert in everything. But when I, when I first heard the video, I just think that some of it does have to do with the fact that there's not a lot enough black people who have enough skin in the game. I think that looking at the amount of money, cause black people, you know, makes up a lot of the economy as far as spending power is concerned. Yeah. So why wouldn't they, you know, um, well, it, you use know, more black consultants or this or that? Uh, I well, think that that, my, my personal opinion, I think that that does have something to do with it. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. It, it does. And, and it, yeah. is, it goes back to the point which you said that more, if black people are involved or, or if they have a diverse staff of AI engineers, of course a black person or a non-white person is going to be more aware of these certain discriminatory like things right yes because they are black but let's but, say there's a there's a really um so th let's let's take a th let's just call him person a okay. person a is a black guy he's a top level ai engineer okay. now he has two job options one job option is to identify the uh black skin versus shadow on people's on black people's faces in the dark mm -hmm. and the other one is to develop um, a banking algorithm now the banking algorithm is going to pay 50 times as much as the other algorithm because that's the amount of value based on uh, finances versus uh, cultural differentiation so now is the black top level engineer required to ah, right so are, are we going to are we going to socially program him to choose a job that pays less money Whereas he could design a better banking algorithm, and then the so the the bank is actually wants to hire this this black guy to develop this algorithm. So what 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 do we do with that conundrum, right? So there's the issue of um, providing uh, a more diverse data set that would improve uh, the algorithm's ability to differentiate between black skin and, and shadow, yeah. or is the guy going to take a, a fucking way bigger paycheck? Yeah, yeah, and and, yeah, but, and, and but, that's, but still, that's a, yeah, like you said, that's a. But 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 still, we're talking, itself. we're talking. Let's say, for example, Google was the one that made the. Google is 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 you know like super rich company. Yes, super, I mean you know they're like a way rich. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. And so, to me, looking at those customer bases, uh, I think that that is not a. I, I don't buy that excuse because they could pay. 
a top level black guy the same amount of money that they could that bank could pay him to do the same thing. I think that they could do. Uh, you know, I just I'm not I'm not knocking you or anything. Yeah, no, I get but it. I'm just saying that there's no to me that there's no excuse uh, for them to make that screw up based and, and especially based on the history of, you know, racism and, and, and racial diversity and all that stuff in America. So so I find that when I heard that video, I find that for a super rich ass conglomerate like Google, that's I find that inexcusable myself. In 2019, it, it is pretty. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Inexcusable. It, but uh, I, yeah. I think that when like the 4K TVs and the 8K TVs and cameras come down in price and the algorithm like in the ability to produce algorithms will become cheaper the problem will solve itself out yeah. pretty easily. But would that be on a consumer level? But I'm talking about, you know, Google's algorithm. They own that shit. They they like they could they could afford the best top level shit and there should be no excuses for yeah. for it's not crazy. being able to distinguish a shadow from uh black skin. You know it, what I'm it, saying? Yeah, I know, but at this it is a technological limitation at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like the uh, Google is actually investing to like like five hundred million dollars to send Google engineers into black communities and try to find people in black communities that are interested in technology and fast tracking them into tech fields, right? Okay. Um, so the, the I, I, I yeah I'm not gonna say sit here and say that uh, the there's not some sort of historical bias against uh, black people but yeah um, at the same time it's 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 a, it's a stack it's a whole bunch of things coming together yeah and, right and, and um, well, I, like the lady said in the vi video it wasn't about being racist it was just you know we ignored but I don't yeah, know. it's just ignore, awareness that has to you know maybe increase. maybe maybe uh, ignoring uh, when I look at it all right ignoring we just ignored you Maybe you ignored us because you were racist. Mm -hmm. I, I don't fucking know. You yeah. know, yeah, it's I just mean, that when I when I was listening to, it, I was like, excuse, 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 you know, yeah. bullshit excuse. Yeah, yeah. and, okay. and, that's, I, and that's, I also think Google is not going to tell people that their technology is limited, right? So yeah, there's a, there's this yeah. aspect of 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 disclosure that is a uh, majorly lacking, and that's where I think a lot of the paranoia comes in. Because yeah. I think from a consumer level. If you were to purchase a camera that couldn't distinguish, I can understand that could be an affordability issue, you know, for the for the consumer. But I'm talking about for the conglomerate, yeah, the the the, the big major player uh, that could afford any goddamn thing. Uh, I find that inexcusable. Yeah. They, they should. I'll also say they should be getting on their asses to solve this problem as but quick I'm as sure fucking they possible. Are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 All right, man. That was yeah, that was a pretty interesting talk about uh, <laughs> AI and toilets and. Facial recognition, <laughs> racist AI and shit. Racist but, AI. <laughs> racist AI. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was just a pretty, pretty like, I, I don't know. It's but, kind, but, it's kind of a thin line. It's a yeah. hyperbolic title, but yeah, you know, I'm but, not, I'm not gonna say that they are they are racist. Yeah. They may just yeah lack not, of awareness is what lack I, of I like awareness, to use. But uh, uh, but I don't, uh, I don't want that racist thing to be left too far out because who knows what the oh yeah definitely yeah, definitely put it keep uh, yeah keep it in keep it in there oh yeah, yeah it's yeah, it's it's, it's a good leverage as well so um your folk musician right would you would you is that a yeah that i think label? that's okay yeah i yeah. like acoustic music folk okay. music it's such a weird life to like in the day figuring out how to build a paperless school then at night fucking picking up an acoustic guitar and trying to play <laughs> jewish klezmer music with it's it's weird, man. How, how did you get into that? That was just something that you um, well, grew up listening to. Yeah. Well, basically, when I was in university, I was playing and I was drumming in rock bands, and um, I realized that when I was drumming in rock bands, I would need to pack up a van full of gear uh, and like drums and amps and go to a, a bar and set up and do sound check, and then it's really fucking loud. And then I play started playing um, on a party band with like acoustic music and i would just bring a, a snare drum and a and a, and a suitcase on it with a stand and, and like a little symbol and people really responded to it a lot more organically so i went into folk music because it just saved me a lot of time and i didn't need to invest in as much gear and if you're playing rooms that with acoustic music you can play in a van or i could plug in my guitar and play at a large venue so it just op it, it limited it decreased the amount of gear I needed, 
And also, I think that when I listen to acoustic music and folk music, I, I res- there's something more organic about it, like spiritually, um, and and harder as well. You have you really have to work hard to play acoustic music. Um, you, you when you make a mistake, it sounds like a mistake. Okay. Um, but if 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 I'm on an iPad and I just I like making music on my iPad and I, I program some things sometimes, but um, there's a there's an immediacy uh, to a lot of elect- electric music and sometimes like when I go to a club and it's a rock club and I'm just I'm standing like five feet away from some guy playing a massive guitar stack and I'm like I don't really need this in my ears right now so I just like the acoustic musicians more on average they play less douchey music a lot of rock music is pretty douchey not all of it but a lot of it you know um and then um I I like some hip-hop but I'm 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 not I like playing hip hop on drums. I love live hip hop drums. That's really cool. But um, when I listen to hip hop, I like listening to mixes. But again, so I got into acoustic music because it felt more soulful and uh, more organic and easier to easier to play shows. So what's the difference between? Uh, I didn't catch the name correctly. You could go ahead and correct me. Jewish? You say klez? Klezmer is the name of the style of music, and it's traditionally Jewish folk folk music and dance and things like that. So, from, what's the difference between that and, let's say, a Tracy Chapman or a okay, Bob Dylan? Sure. Um, uh, Tracy Chapman, Bob Dylan play a lot of maybe blues or chords or a mm. lot of um, folk chord, like a straight chords, <coughs> and a in a four four time signature. Mm. One, two, three, four. G G G G C C C C D D. Something like that. I'm probably singing it wrong. Um, but klezmer music has a unique scale. Um, and it has a lot of alternative time signatures. So you're playing a lot of 11-16, a lot of 7-8, um, a lot of 3-4, which is not that unusual. But so... Um, uh, do 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 instead of do 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 um one two three one two one two one two three one two one two one two three one two one two one two one two three one two one two one two one two three one two one two a lot of five four one two three four five 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 so the way that you measure as a drummer which I lot of I play guitar and drums is the way of trying to keep a uh, a solid beat going in an alternative time signature is a real challenge. Mm. So that, what, those, those are some of the, the, the scale is different and the time signatures are different. What about the, uh, like what inspires the music? Is there a difference between a, uh, again, a Tracy Chapman or your, you know, the Jewish klezmer? Yeah. The, the, the Jewish klezmer music is a lot more, I would say, e- emotional like a lot it's joyous and crying at the same time so it's like something there's a tragedy and something beautiful happening at the same time and it's expressed a lot more through music rather than through vocals oh okay okay Okay. Mm -hmm. there's a lot of vocals of course but you'll find that um it's the way that the uh people play the violin is in a joyful sorrowful way at the same time Mm. um that's that's how I would describe it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So is this like the re, you know going like, I guess tying your podcast into your passion for music? You in, you interview a lot of artists. Yeah, like Maddie B. Files. Artists. I try to get as yeah Files. yeah musicians is what my original focus was. Okay. Yeah, talking. I wanted to know more about because everything I learned about the music industry is just a lie. MTV was a giant lie. I was tired of hearing musicians go, we were just all really good friends and we recorded this album in the basement and next thing you know, it's a number <laughs> yeah, one hit. Yeah, you do hear that all the time. And then it's like, but then then you listen to the album and it's like, everything is in perfect time. Like, there's not one slip of the beat, not one mistake. And it's just like, no, 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 you guys trained your fucking asses off. You were nerds focusing your shit on fine-tuning your art. And uh, so I wanted to kind of feel like, and then also because of the technology that's changing, I wanted to know how people were approaching music, approaching music sales, like uh, CDs. I, I, I'm trying to think of other ways to distribute music outside of CDs and outside of 
um, streaming on other platforms, like providing it for free on SoundCloud and things like that. Because uh, podcasting is different for me. I think it's 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 developed for streaming things like that, and it opens its way into maybe some merch and things like that. But for music, distributing CDs and yeah, I'm trying to think about how to approach music in different ways and the, uh, the reason why i started interviewing all these different musicians is that i wanted to see what was the music scene like where they're from because okay. we don't have a, a centralized music system anymore where everything comes from tower records which we're near everything is really underground except if you're pop music or, or like akb48 yeah. um there is no there is no alternative in the mainstream so I wanted to see what people were up to. And they were basically all saying the same things like um, CDs don't sell. We make them anyways. Um, we have a strong underground scene, um, but it doesn't go anywhere outside of that place. So talk about uh, Wild Thumbprints, man. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Your release in yeah. 2016. 2016. Um, what was that about? What was the inspiration? Uh, the that? inspiration behind that. It was um, I, I always want to record music and it's hard to find people to record music with, actually. Uh, but a lot of people want to play shows, uh, and recording music is kind of tough. So I said, okay. Um, I've been playing in the foreign community for a while, and the foreign community, they would often work with other bands and things like that. So a lot of the times I would go to see band A, band C, band D, and be basically a lot of the same members within those bands. So I wanted to individualize my music a bit, and I wanted to um, work with Japanese guys. So I found um, some professional musicians, kind of crazy guys, um, Daisuke Fujimoto on drums, um, uh, what's uh, Taro on uh, bass, and uh, Kikuchi-san on guitar. And these guys are, are top-level uh, musicians, so I really wanted, so I found them. I, I, I could always find awesome musicians to work with, but I can never fucking find a way to like promote my shit. But anyways, that's also kind of more fun, in a way, working with the pros. Yeah. Now, let me ask you about making, you know, you brought up the point about making music and hoping that it attracts people. LL Cool J said something that was interesting a long time ago, and I'm just paraphrasing. And he said that it, the difficult thing about making music is to make you're writing something from your heart and you're putting it on, you know, you, you're making it into music and you have to hope that enough people love it so you could eat. Is, yeah. Is, 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 what, what's that? I mean, even though you have a job and you're making good money and this, that, and the other, so music is not what you, is your sole income. Yeah. But do you ever think about that sometimes? Uh, yeah, I, I think about it a lot, actually. And it, it really bums me out that um, music is in the state of, that it is at the time right now. And uh, culturally, music isn't very important. Like, um, when, we, when we often hear about um, musicians, it's from, like, social media political scandals not from the actual music that they're doing so i feel like culturally um what, what we're experiencing right now is a real lack of of music um, a real lack of shared music and most of the music is quite um i don't care if it's digital or not because you can have a wonderful digital music but it's very poorly organized it's just like a bass track a drum track and like a, a loop of a string or something like that and people not really rapping or or singing about very interesting things and mm -hmm. the lyrics are really dumbed down yeah. and um mm -hmm. and that's uh, but it, it's, it's like it's, this factory produce kind of yeah and catch phrases yeah catch, uh, uh, catch phrases and type of a uh, thing and really negative as well yeah. like um and when we think back to uh you know just all these i'm not seeing a lot of I'm seeing I'm seeing so much good music, but it's not out there. If you know what I mean, yeah, it's yeah. it's locked away. Yeah. And I interview musicians from all over the world, and I and I listen to their music, and I go, "Fuck, why isn't this on our phones?" Absolutely. Uh, but so, when thinking about enough people to come and love it, are there enough people going out there to love music at the moment? I think everybody right now is obsessed with their own social media platform identities yes and they use That's a great point. they use um experiences to promote themselves so models mm. will go to a live music concert and film themselves at the live music concert not because they're at the live music concert because they want to promote themselves at the live music so That's an then the point. band yeah. becomes a background uh, like a backdrop for the social media person 
to promote themselves. So, but the social media person isn't doing anything. They're just there. Right. Yeah. So, but everybody wants to be just there. They don't yes. actually, not everybody. I, I should be careful uh, because I do see sometimes like some bands in Tokyo attract people. Some of them do. They tend to be um, just very ganky bands and that's fine. Whatever. That's great. I, more love to them. But generally speaking, I'm not, I'm also seeing like a lack of awareness within musicians of what people want. And then again, again, everybody, not everybody, but I just mean like the general consumer has shifted from having a CD collection to having a social media following. So yeah. that, that it's just, we're in a totally new era and music is not caught up. Music is an auditory experience. And a lot of the video phones or smartphones don't have good audio capturing. So when you yes. capture something with audio live, it sounds like garbage on social media. Yeah, but does. the cameras are really high quality, so the chicks look super hot. <laughs> right, so it's right. like the chicks look super hot. The, yeah. the music sounds super bad uh, in quality. So I just think there's this massive disparity uh, going on, and uh, I'm not sure how to close the gap. So actually. what about the catchphrase? Like, uh, let's say, for example, uh, shake your rump or something like that, and it becomes like a catchy thing. Yeah. And all of a sudden, this... this, this uh, not super talented guy just happened to have a uh, cool ass catchphrase with a couple of beats behind it. And then all of a sudden it takes off and the young people just like, boom, flock to it. And they buy all the T-shirts and this, that and the other. And this guy makes a, a, a million jillion dollars and stuff like that. And you never hear from him again. Yeah. Maybe that's. But but also you think that the bands need to, let's say, start. um Let's say if they want to make money, sort of like the Black Eyed Peas got got um, got criticized for going away from their underground roots because they say, hey, we can make a lot more money by, you know, being a little bit more pop than, you know. That's their choice. Yeah. And like, I, don't, I wouldn't say the Black Eyed Peas are necessarily like super poppy. They're not like a girl band group. Right. 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 So they. I, but they're it, hardcore following. Yeah. Felt that they abandoned them in this, that, and the other, but most bands go through that. Chili, Red Hot Chili Peppers had the same thing, but now they have international appeal. But it does sound a little bit cookie cutter after a while. But I, I would say if you if you're in a band and you have, if you're in a band for like three years and you still got people listening to you, you're doing a great job. Yeah. Because how often do you listen to a band for more than three years? <laughs> Very rarely. So if you're in a yeah. band for three years and uh, you're going nowhere, well, I don't know what's going to happen to you, man, because uh, no one is looking for a band. Nobody. Nobody. Who's looking for a band? I don't know anybody looking for a band. I know I know bands looking for bands. <laughs> oh, okay. But I don't know like people looking for bands. Like I, I've... In the 12 years I've been in, I've seen so many musicians and, and been with so many musicians. The only musicians that uh, get paid well are musicians that um, covers, cover songs or go into um, play as a background musician mm. or uh, but like some some original artist making a lot of money doing their own thing in japan I've, I've just never seen it as a foreigner japanese people aren't interested in it i don't think yeah oh okay yeah so talk about uh you, you got a project you're working on right right now yes yep yep just um so what i've tried what i've decided to do is i've decided to so what, like the reason is if um, i'm like whinging a lot about like the where where it's at right now right mm -hmm. and I, I i don't want to so um, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to find a way to continue to record and make music, but change my focus. And so what my focus is now is it's like on self doing self recording and making music myself and um, reaching out to musicians and bringing them in and making um, just like good music. What I the music I want to make kind of what I was talking about before. Um, so I'm doing that and I, I, I've invested in a lot of microphones and shit like that. So um, the the album I'm working on right now is it's very minimalist. It's like just uh, guitar, maybe some piano, um, drums, and I can I can write the music, I can play the drums, I can organize and and and, and uh, understand how the song should go, and I can do most of it myself, and then just bring in other musicians to add like electric guitar solos or uh, piano solos or something like that. So right now it's just a four song EP, and I'm doing it piecemeal. 
Uh, but it's 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 so far sounding pretty good. I'm pretty happy with it's it. It's called could, live. Oh, that's right. That's a different one. Recently, that's a different one. Okay. Recently, I did. Um, that's that's another thing that I want to do is um, do more uh, specials, like co- how comedians are just doing their specials. I thought maybe folk musicians can do that too. So, this guy from Australia, uh, Charlie, he has his own video production, audio production company in Australia, was coming to Tokyo. And he wanted to do like a, an audio visual thing with music. And I thought, okay, sounds fun. I like working collaboratively with other musicians and other uh, artists. Got in uh, Andrew fr- uh, from uh, Offbeat Photography. And we just put four acoustic musicians on stage. I was there to do backup with Cajon. Get some good mics out front so that the good audio is captured with the good um, video. Because Charlie does great um, uh, video and so does Andrew. And we got me, we got Haru, uh, who's an acoustic musician from uh, uh, from America. We got Nicholas Faraguna, who's one of the best uh, guitarists in the world, uh, doing his acoustic set. And we got a Japanese girl called Lifeguard, and um, just sitting on stage, good audio, good video, singing their songs, and uh, we're releasing it piecemeal as well. So my thing went up last week. You can find that pretty soon on facebook just hit that up at matt bigelow um matt bigelow 2 i think it's facebook at mr bigelow on twitter and um, i'm gonna be releasing it on my podcast as well piecemeal so i'll be releasing one of those later today Dope. or tomorrow Dope. Uh, maddie b files yeah. thank you maddie b hey files. you just kind of wrapped it up for us yeah <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna hey, say hey do, you know uh, throughout your show, social media and hey man he's a podcast bro. yeah he's you a podcaster so yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, so man, yeah, appreciate you for coming on. Oh yeah, today. absolutely. This yeah, is great. great. Yeah, yeah. You guys, always the, good. The time. van is uh, awesome. You know, oh, the yeah. mobile Thank Thank van yeah. cast. Love to have yeah. Max in this bitch. Yeah, well, yeah, I'll Max. put you guys in touch. Yeah, yeah. Max yeah. be throwing out some whoa. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, when you and Max are talking, I'm like, okay, are they doing a Joe Rogan killer mic, smoke a joint in the damn studio? Well, we can't do that shit here A little Japan, bit. I just but. let them go, and I, I, I trust the listener enough that they're going to be able to decide what they want to believe or not. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He throws some shit out there, it's man. hilarious. You, you guys awesome. got to check out him and Max when they get together. Goddamn. <laughs> yeah, so one more time, shout out your your, your podcast. Matty B. Files. Matty B. Files. Matty B. Files. Uh, Available on uh, everywhere you go. Um, I also have a website, Miss, uh, sorry, uh, MatthewPMBigelow.com. Uh, you can find music there. You can find all of the uh, streaming that I do, um, all of the podcasts that I do. I think I'm up to like 135, okay, which is cool. a lot. That's yeah, a lot, yeah. yeah. I had to take a step back recently because of uh, personal reasons, but I should be back, back up and running. Sometime soon, either today nice. or tomorrow. Now, we ain't talking about Matt Bigelow, the uh, porn star. You know, when I first heard Matt Bigelow, that sounds like a porn star name. Deuce. Man. Fuck yeah. Ooh, shit. Yeah. yeah. Deuce, Deuce Bigelow changed my Mel life. Gigolo, oh, yeah. man. Before, before Deuce Bigelow, Bigelow was kind of a joke name. Yeah. yeah. But then after after Deuce Bigelow was released, I'd had my ID card to like nightclub people, and they'd be like, damn, damn Bigelow. Dude, you I, I went from being like super Free made fun of to me. cool. So that was good. Thanks, guys, for yeah. having hey. me so much. All right, awesome, man. Dude, That's brother. it. Raw Podcast. We out, From baby. Shibuya, Tokyo. Peace. From the streets. Sunny-ass beautiful day out here. Later. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Raw Urban Mobile Podcast. For more episodes, please visit rump.podbean.com. Or you can head straight to Google and type in Raw Urban Mobile Podcast. You can also listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you can stream or download podcasts.